Good morning, church. How you doing? Welcome. You glad to be here? Yeah, it's a good morning to be together. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here. Really honored to be with you. Um, our lead pastor is enjoying a week off after eight or nine weeks preaching in a row. And I just wonder, can we take a second and just let him know how grateful we are for him, his leadership, honor you, thankful for you. Yeah, we've been in a series these last few weeks called Call Me Triumph. Anybody been enjoying it? Hasn't it been good learning all about, yeah, things like identity and grit and worry and all these things that lead us into this incredible promise. And the, and the verse that we've been looking at is 2 Corinthians 2.14. And I wonder, would you indulge me this morning? Can we read this together? This verse we've been in says this. We'll throw it up on the screen. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him. That is an incredible promise, is it not? That God will always lead us in triumph. And so over these last four weeks we've been looking at how are the ways that he does that. And this week we're going to be exploring what it, what it looks like to actually put that into real life. See, these things that we've been studying, identity in Christ and perseverance and, and worry and the battles for these things, they'll only take us so far if we don't learn what it looks like to do them in relationship with one another. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at how relationships unlock for us this incredible promise in a new way. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. And so if you want to read along, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this. It says, As soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even the sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Taking notes this morning, the title of this morning's message is It's Worth It. All right? It's Worth It. And let's pray one more time together. Yeah, Lord God, we come before you. We just, right now, we just still ourselves before you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. We just once more just declare our dependence on you. We just say we need you. Would you be among us this morning? We open ourselves up to you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know what your family was like growing up, but in the Schnepp household, when I was young, we drank a lot of milk. Right? A lot of milk in the Schnepp household. We were constantly going through it. It seemed like my mom was buying gallon after gallon after gallon. And uh, I have found in the world of milk, people fall into two camps. You grew up drinking a lot of it, and so it's a normal part of your life. Or you're one of those people that's like, do you know where that comes from? Ew. Like in your best Jimmy Fallon thing, like, ew, that comes from a cow. I'm not drinking that, you know? But in the world of milk, it's, it's common, especially with kids. Now we, we've got a little girl. Now you're constantly giving them milk, and so... So this habit, just, it stayed with me. And so I'm in my 20s now, and I'm having milk and cereal in the morning, and uh, dinner time sits down, and, and uh, I, I have a glass of milk, and then maybe at bedtime I sneak some, some milk and uh, some Oreos. And, and I've seen the milk commercials. Remember those with the mustache? Anybody remember those things? They'd put a celebrity on a big billboard, and they'd have this white mustache, and say milk is, is good for you, and it's telling you it's building strong bones and whatnot. 
Well, about five or six years ago, I was leading worship at, at a, a church I was working at, and, uh, you know, was really, really just singing a lot. We had, you know, several services on the weekend, and rehearsals midweek, and all these different things, and um, it's, it's, it's a ton of just music and different things, and I start to lose my voice, all right? And if you know, if you're a worship leader, losing your voice is about the worst thing that can happen. And so I start getting all these cold symptoms, and so my head is, is constantly plugged up, and my throat is always scratchy, and um, I'm constantly just taking Sudafed to try and plug. So with my cereal in the morning, I'm taking Sudafed. And then at night, you know, I've got my big glass of milk, and I'm, and I'm taking Sudafed. And it is getting worse and worse and worse. And listen, nobody is getting ushered into the presence of God when the worship leader sounds like a, a wounded animal struggling for his last breath. You know what I mean? So I'm like, how great! Sing with me. And they're like, he might be great. You are absolutely not in any way. I'm not going there with you. And so this, this probably went on for a good 18 months or so. And uh, it was honestly terrible. All right? I, I, was, I was getting super insecure. I used to love leading worship, and then I did not look forward to it anymore. It was embarrassing, and I was talking often with my wife, like, I think I need to quit. I think I need to go find something else to do because this is not working. So I'm going to different doctors and I'm, I'm trying to find out uh, what exactly is happening. And so I went to probably three different doctors. Finally, I go to one and she says, let's take an allergy test. So I have a whole bunch of blood drawn and, and she calls me up a few weeks later and says, okay, so in the world of allergies, okay, we've got four classes. Zero to one is class one. One to five is class two. Five to ten or something like that is three. And then ten to thirty is four. And when it comes to milk, you are an 80 on the allergy scale. Okay, so I would recommend you stop drinking it right this moment. I'm devastated because it's been such a part of my life, you know. See, but this thing that I had been thinking was helping me all along, this thing that I, I thought was making me strong and, and making me better was actually the thing that was keeping me from doing the thing God had called me to do. And I can't help but imagine and wonder... How many of us have done the same thing? You know, I was at a conference a few years back, and there was an author named Brene Brown, and um, she was talking about this book that she had written. It was this book called Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. And this book sold over a million copies. It's all about just, just how you need one another and how vulnerability is, is possible. And I'm sitting there thinking, this, this is not new news. You know, this idea of being vulnerable, of, of getting people close to you who can help you, I'm like, this is what we've been saying in the church for years and years and years, and yet in society became this, this transforming idea that you should have people close with you, that you're honest with. And I thought, that's a great idea. And I can't help but wonder if the message that society has been, been sending for so long has actually caused us to take a step back from the very thing that God wants to use us, use to strengthen us. See, everywhere around us, you know it, you see it in movies or in sitcoms, there's this, this underlying message that says to rely on others actually makes you weak. That if you're going to be a, a person of strength, you need to be someone who's able to stand on your own feet, who doesn't actually need anybody else. That, that if everybody else leaves, you're perfectly fine standing on your own two feet. And we don't need a whole lot of coaxing in this area because oftentimes the friendships that we have fall apart and, and, and they break apart and so we get burned and, and so we say, fine, if that's what's actually true, I don't want anybody in my life. 
I don't need anybody with access to me. I don't need anybody who I'm, I'm speaking regularly with, who I'm, who I'm being honest with, who I am, as Brene Brown says, choosing to be vulnerable with. The problem is, relationships have always been and will always be one of the sustaining graces that God gives us. And as we choose to intentionally pull ourselves back from it, we are skipping out on God's best for our life. As we've chosen to to put a fence around the yard of our hearts and keep people at a distance, we are choosing to limit the amount to which God can use us for his purposes. What I want to propose this morning is that whether you come here and your heart is battered and bruised, or you're wondering how it could ever be, or you're new to the area and you're just thinking it's too hard, I just wonder if God wants to show us another way. See, the incredible story of of David and Jonathan that we read just a snippet of just a minute ago is how this friendship between these two men was this incredible catalyst that led David especially through many of life's most difficult situations because of his friend Jonathan. And I know what you're thinking, you're like, another talk on relationships. I just wonder, would you allow yourself to go there again? That part of you that's like, man, I don't want to hear this again. Would you just just take down that wall for just a minute and believe with me that God has something specific he wants to say to you this morning? All right? All right. We're looking at this morning uh, a time in history in which Israel, God's uh, chosen people, have just inaugurated their first king. It's a man named Saul. Saul had an eldest son. His name was Jonathan. And Jonathan was going to be the heir to the throne. Okay, He was the the oldest, and that was the journey that he was headed towards. This this kid David, he's born to a poor family, and uh, through a long series of circumstances that we don't have time for, uh, David is, is brought into the king's house and becomes the armor bearer to the king. And this is the same David of the, the David and Goliath stories. And so a time comes when, when the Philistine giant needs to be killed and nobody else has the courage to step up and do it. And it's David who steps up and kills Goliath. And that day the king says, from here on out, you are brought into my house. You will be in my house from here on out. And listen, if I'm Jonathan, I'm not too happy about this new guy being brought into the house. Because there's probably a part of me that feels like my dad just adopted the warrior son that he always wanted. And I'm probably feeling a little bit pushed to the side. And so you can see how from day one, this, this friendship between these two guys was set up just for inevitable disaster. Except that it never actually became disastrous. Quite the opposite, actually. Jonathan becomes an incredibly powerful friend to David. And shows us this morning what I want to show you. Just a a really beautiful picture of the way God would have friendships operate in your life and in my life. So let's dig in, All right, Look again with me at our text this morning. It says this. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his honor and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, honestly, we don't know exactly what the covenant was that that Jonathan made with David that day, but I believe in in what he did immediately following that. He gives David just this beautiful picture of the type of person he was going to be for David. And so he starts by by taking off his robe. 
and giving it to him. And this robe is called a, a me'il, all right? Can you say that with me? Me'il, right? It's a me'il, like a little Hebrew. It like really flows off the tongue really, really nicely. But this is no ordinary robe. It's not a jacket. This is the robe of the king's son. So to wear this robe was to say, I am the prince and I am headed towards the throne one day. And he takes it off and he gives it to David. Now you've got to see, this, this is no small thing for Jonathan to do. Let me, let me remind you, this is the man who is for his whole life expected to one day be the man exchanging that throne, that robe, for a crown and sitting on the throne. And yet Jonathan sees something in David. He's heard the whispers that the prophet Samuel has anointed David to be the next king. And rather than standing in the way of that, Jonathan chooses to be exactly what his friend needed him to be. Rather than a competitor that would fight for the throne, he decides to step to the side and play the role of the support that his friend needed him to be. See, he recognizes the greatness in David. And can you just picture with me for a second how secure Jonathan must have had to have been to be this type of friend to David? I mean, can we be honest about how incredibly difficult this would be? And frankly, how incredibly difficult it is in all the different situations in life. I remember being a senior in college, and uh, there were seven of us in this small engineering program that I was a part of. And so all of us were going for the same jobs. And we'd been together for four years. These were some of my best friends. And I remember the day would come when they'd call, and one of my friends would get the jobs, and the rest of us didn't. And we'd all kind of look at them and be like, great, so happy for you. It's wonderful. You got the job you were hoping for, and none of us did, you know? It's hard to do that, right? It's hard, even if we're honest, to celebrate sometimes. It's hard to celebrate the victories of others. Or maybe your friend, think about this, you've got a best friend who lives here in New Haven, and and maybe you've been going to school together. Think about when they get that call for the, the job that they've been looking for down in Florida. And so they come to you, and they say, you know, man, I, uh, I think I might take this job, but I really want to spend the next couple weeks praying about it. I wonder if you'll do that with me. If you're anything like me, you're like, yeah, I'll pray. Pray you don't get it, right? Because uh, I, there's something in me that doesn't want him to move forward when it when it's causes loss to me. Or like I said a second ago, even celebrating. Gosh, we are a young church, and there are probably hundreds of us in this room who would say, I'm single right now, and I feel like God is calling me to get married one day. How difficult is it when your friend calls you up and says, hey, I got engaged. And again, you're like, awesome. Why? Because even their success reminds you of the the pain of the unmet need in your own heart. And so even just celebrating with them can be incredibly difficult. Man, I, I remember this so clearly in my own life. My wife and I got married really, really early. We were in our young 20s. We weren't sure if we ever wanted a family. And uh, we, we both decided to change careers. And we been, went back to grad school. And, and so we waited a full seven years to start a family. And um, Which, by the way, we've got our second little girl due to arrive on Wednesday. So you can be praying for the schneps and all of that. It's coming up here in just a little bit. But I remember around year four or five, you know, we were both still in school. The time wasn't quite right. But that, that longing to be a dad... Some of you guys know what that's like. It just began to settle on me. 
And I remember so clearly that, that feeling when friends would share with me that they were pregnant. It was like, that, that had nothing to do with me. And yet, I, I had a hard time fully celebrating with them. Because half of my heart was like, yes, that's great for you. And half of it was like, oh, that's a reminder of the pain of my own. I, I remember being in a car. I was down in D.C. visiting my cousin and her husband. And they're like a, like a brother and sister to me. And they turn and they share their news. And I am over the moon excited for them. And yet, there's a part of me that's like, oh, that stings. Because even getting us to a place where we can celebrate the victories of others is incredibly difficult. And so imagine with me the feeling of Jonathan. The throne that he now knows he will never see. He takes the robe off of his shoulders and he puts it on the friend. And in doing so, with with just simple words and the deepest of meanings, he puts the robe on his shoulders and he looks his friend in the eye and says, I am for you. The robe says to David, I am for you. So then he puts it on David's shoulders. He moves on and he gives him his armor. He takes it off and he knows it's not that he's not going to need it anymore. He's giving David just another picture. And it wasn't too long until this got tested because just in the next chapter we see David beginning to have just an enormous amount of success as a, as a commander. And so he is beginning to win battles and the people are beginning to really speak well of him versus speaking well of their king. And so, so Saul, who is battling with insecurity, decides, you know what, I'm going to take him out. And so he calls up his son and, and his son friends and his son's friends and he tells them, listen, I want one of you to actually go and kill David. He puts a hit out on David's life. And Jonathan actually goes running to David and he says, Hey, listen, you got to stay and hide because i got to sort out what's going on with my dad. But listen, I will take care of this, but don't come out until I'm able to settle this. And David stays and hides and, and Jonathan runs back to his dad and he talks him out of it. And in doing so, David is restored. And Jonathan says to him with that, Listen, i got your back covered. All right? I've got your back. But it's not just his back that he's covering, right? He's also telling him by giving him armor, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to be watching down the road that we're heading so that you can follow me. In chapter 20 of 1 Samuel here, David is utterly despondent because uh, Saul has now been chasing him and and David is sensing like, if I wait long enough, Saul is going to kill me. And so you can hear in, in David's voice, he's just battling with, with depression, and, and he's, he's just wrestling with this. And so he says to his friend, he says, listen, your dad's going to kill me anyway. I'd rather you just do it. Would you just kill me? And Jonathan turns and looks him in the face. He says, don't be an idiot. I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. We're going to sort this out. And Jonathan comes up with this, this concoction of a plan. He says, you're not thinking clearly. And the truth is, you and I need people in our lives who will look at us when we're not thinking clearly and will stand in our path and say, no, 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 you're not going down this road anymore. This road that you're heading down is headed to a place you do not want to go, and I will stand here and my feet will not move until we figure out another way to go. So you need a friend. When you are that single person, you're so tired of being alone that you're ready to throw in the towel and just start dating that loser from work that you know isn't God's best for you because you're having a hard time trusting that God actually has a plan for your life. You need a friend who will look you in the eye and say, don't do it. 
Sometimes you need someone who's just going to stand right in the path and just say, listen, I am not letting you go down this road anymore. I will protect you from the place that you're heading. Who loves you enough to confront you when your ship has begun to drift off the path. And so that, in such a beautiful picture, Jonathan is giving that to David. He's giving him the armor and saying, I will protect you. Even if it costs me my own life. Even if in that time I need to go to my dad to declare that he should not kill you and he kills me instead, I will give my life for you. I will protect you. Even if it costs me our friendship, I will tell you what is true. And I will tell you what is right. And so he gives him the armor. And so he takes the robe he puts it on David's shoulders. He unclasps his armor and puts that on, on David as well. Hands it over and gives it to him. And he proceeds to take off his belt, which held, held the daggers and his bow and his sword. And he takes off his weapons. And yet another incredible picture. See, if you fast forward just five chapters, you find yourself in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And scholars tell us it's about four years after these initial interactions that we've been looking at in chapter 18. And at this point, David has been on the run for years and years and years. Person after person is betraying him. Somebody he thinks he can trust then sends a runner to King Saul who's hunting him. And David has to uproot all his things and head to somewhere else. And you can see that he's at the end of his rope. And so word comes to his friend Jonathan of David's condition, and and Jonathan goes running and finds him in the wilderness. And it records that he says this, picking up in verse 15 of, of chapter 23, it'll be on the screen. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David there and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. What an incredible phrase. I don't know if you caught it. It says that that Jonathan went and strengthened his hand in God. He went and he looked and he said, Listen, didn't Samuel say you will be king? Stop acting as though the promise of God wasn't true. Stop thinking that that the things that have been spoken over you are not going to be. Did he say you will be king? Then you will be. God has promised that you will step into this. So stand up and let's head out again. This incredible picture of how the promises of God can be used to just strengthen someone's hand. Because if there's one thing that we've learned... You and me, that in the darkest of times, in the most difficult of days, is that the promises of God are the things that will carry us through those dark moments. Listen, when you've been searching for that job and you're wondering, how am I going to pay my bills? Mike, i got to put food on the table, but I can't find work. You need a friend to look you in the eye and say, no, 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 do not forget about the promise of Matthew chapter 6. And God says, if you will seek him first, he will provide and take care of you. When you've made that mistake and you think, man, I I don't even know how God could possibly ever forgive me. You need a a friend who's going to look you in the face and say, don't forget about the promise of Romans 8.1. That there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God feels distant and you just feel like, man, I feel like God has has turned his back on me. I feel like God has left me. You need a friend who's going to look you in the eye and say, no, remember the promises of Hebrews chapter 13 that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you need a friend who knows how to strengthen your hand in him with the promises 
of God. Yeah. See, with the weapons, Jonathan turns and says to his friend, I will strengthen your weary hand. There's this incredible picture that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's describing the armor of God. And he talks about how the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And it's this picture from Jonathan to Paul tied together that the weapons we hold are the Word of God and held within are his incredible promises of faithfulness. And those are the things we are to use to push back on life's difficult and trying moments. I wonder, would you picture with me just how incredible it would be to have somebody who is deeply invested in you. Who just unequivocally could say, listen man, I am for you. I've got your back, and listen, I will go before you, and I will reroute us when we need to. A friend who says, listen, when you need me, I am there to strengthen your hand, and don't you forget, I will always tell you who you are in God. And you're thinking, I can't even imagine how incredible that would be. You're thinking to yourself, no one's ever done that for me before. How could I possibly know what that was like? It sounds almost too good to be true. Except what if somebody already has? What if just like Jonathan's heart, somebody's soul has already been knit to yours? The the Bible tells us how on the cross, Christ's spirit is knit to ours in just this incredibly powerful way. What if just like Jonathan taking off the robe and putting it on David's shoulders, Christ takes off the robe of heaven and puts it on your shoulders, stepping aside from his rightful inheritance so that you could experience it? What if in your moments of most difficulty and trying times when you are experiencing your wilderness, Christ comes to you and reminds you of the promises of him? A friend who didn't choose the most convenient or most easy path, but laid that down in order that you could have life eternally. See, you've already had somebody do it for you. Christ has already modeled what it looks like to lay down your life in front of another. This robe and the armor and the weapons, it's no wonder that Jonathan is called the greatest friend in the Bible, some say. The question that I wrestle with as I read this is how on earth did he actually do it? Because as I look at my own life and I evaluate just the role I play in others' lives, sometimes it feels like, man, this is too much. I don't know that I have the power to do this. See, Jonathan learned this incredible promise and truth that each and every single one of us is still trying to learn. Then in the kingdom, we share the victory. See, it's the secret of relationships, this understanding that as, as you win, I win. That as we set our our lives on this course where we want to see the gospel go forward in this region, when God elevates you and you step deeper into the call that he has on your life, we both win. And so that's why I can celebrate when you get to step forward because your win is my win because we share every victory in the kingdom of God. And you ask yourself, man, I don't know if I can be that type of person who learns to share every victory. Listen, learn who you are in Christ. Learn who God has wired and designed you to be. And you will learn to be secure in who you are. And elevating those around you will become natural.
in a way that you never thought it could. As you decide that the things that you are pursuing together are more important than the things you are pursuing on your own. You know, the natural question that might arise in your mind is, Mike, why does this matter? Isn't it just enough for me to do my own thing? You know, it's messy. Friendships are difficult. Frankly, sometimes they're annoying. They're hard to do. Does it really, really matter all that much? Friendships are designed more for far more than just someone to spend Friday nights with at the movies. For someone to call when you're feeling down. Friendship is designed by God to maximize your quest to pursue the calling that he has put on your life. They're designed by God to support that pursuit. And I don't know if you caught it when we read it the first time in verse 5. After it describes who Jonathan was and what he did for David, it says this, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Can you imagine with me who David would have been without his friend Jonathan? I mean, frankly, he probably would have been killed as a teenager by a jealous king. And yet because of his friendship with Jonathan, because of the role that Jonathan played in his life, he was able to ascend to the throne of Israel. For decades and decades, he was able to lead the people of Israel. See, the thing is, when, when David meets Jonathan, he's not just an armor bearer. He's at the same time, the same David who would, years from then, begin to lead the people of Israel. In the same way, you're not just, just John who's age 22. You're also John 22 who will be 52. And you will be ever pursuing the things that God has created you to be. And so right now, just like for David, every single battle he won was a step forward and a step closer to the call that God had put on his life. Every single step you take is a step closer in the, in the person you are right now and the person God has created you to be. And David knew that success was stepping closer and closer towards that person. This definition that... that the world tends to use for success. You ask yourself, how do I know I'm being successful? And they point to all the things like money and job and career and car. And it's not so in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, success is fine as closing the gap between the life that I'm living right now and what's called the unlived life within me. That's success. And the truth is, every single one of us, our hearts burn that our lives would actually matter. Our hearts burn to see that gap just decrease and decrease. And the truth is this, that the breath of your success will forever be determined by the depth of your relationships. Your ability to live out the call on your life will be radically determined by the people you choose to surround yourself with and the type of relationships you learn to cultivate with those people. In Romans 12, Paul has this incredible little phrase he says. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. And in that powerful little phrase, Paul has, has described for us what the church of God looks like when it's operating at maximum capacity. 
That, that a relationship like David and Jonathan, can you picture what a church would look like if, if we outdid one another in showing honor? See, this is not just some martyr syndrome where you lay your life down for someone. No, no, no. You seek out people who want to go there with you, who in the same way you're calling out the best of them are deciding to call out the best in you. And we are learning to outdo one another in showing honor. What an incredible thing that could be if God decided to fill this community with relationships who were choosing to do that. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, this is just too hard. You know, man, I've gone there before and I've been burned and I I just, I can't do it again. Mike, I'm here just for three years from medical school and just the the deeper I put down the roots, the harder they feel when I got to pull them back up because I'm going somewhere else. Mike, it's just difficult. You don't know, it's just hard. My schedule is difficult. All these various reasons why relationships are difficult, they absolutely are. And they're absolutely worth it. That's the thing I want you to catch this morning, is that yes, these are difficult. Yes, they are messy. But if you ignore them, you will never go as far as God has wired and called you to go. Because this difficult and messy thing is the way God wants to propel you forward. And I just want to say, the truth is, anything worth doing in life is hard. And oftentimes the most beautiful and fruitful things are the most challenging and require the most work. Being a parent, getting married, being faithful to a job, these things are incredibly difficult and incredibly beautiful at the same time. I don't know where you're at in this. I don't know if you've Maybe come to church for the first time, you just moved here, and honestly, you're a little lonely because you don't have any friends. I don't know if you're someone who has decided just, just to begin to guard yourself because you're tired of getting burned. I don't know if you're someone who has friendships and you realize they've not gone quite as deep as God has probably designed them to be. I wonder, would you just choose to go there again? Right now, I just believe that God is just just saying something specific to you about where you're at in this, where he's calling you forward. Where it's courage, I believe he'll give it to you. Where it's resolve to be a better friend, he will give that to you. If you'll but make the choice and say, all right, God, I'm in. I'm in. Because it's worth it. Lord Jesus, we just say, God, our hearts just feel heavy when it comes to this because we feel like we've been let down and we've let down others. And yet, God, your word makes it so clear what your will is for, this, for us in this area. And so, God, we just say, would you help us? God, I, I just see this, this picture of a church filled with people who are just one to another, loving one another, challenging one another, supporting one another. And that our church would just be this this sea of unbreakable bonds between people. Because we've learned to love one another. we found that you can be the supply of strength when it's hard. That because we find our identity in you, we can celebrate the success of one another. And as we dig in hard, God, as 12 months goes by and 3 years goes by and 10 years goes by, we look back and we say, man, I would not be as far as I am had God not brought those people 
into my life. And had I not chosen to engage. And so we ask you for strength. We ask you for wisdom. And Jesus, we say we love you. And if you're calling us to it, we will do it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing.